me turn now to the Word of God, and we're going to read from Revelation 6, and we'll just read the first eight verses. Revelation 6, beginning at verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say, with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a, had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creature, the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. I said in the sermon last week that I wanted to preach a whole sermon on the idea of the judgment of God in the light of the current pandemic Looks like it's going to be more than one sermon. We'll, we'll look at the pandemic from a number of different perspectives in the weeks to come. But this passage is certainly a good place to begin. This passage which describes what happens when the Lamb opens the first four seals is an example of many passages in the book of Revelation that have to do with God's judgment upon the wicked. Now, one thing that we should keep in mind right off the bat is the fact that we who believe in Jesus are no less hell-worthy than anyone else on this planet. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, verse 3, before God rescued us by the immeasurable riches of his grace, we were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Any attitude that has even a hint of superiority to others is profoundly sinful, dishonoring to God, and harmful to our witness. If we are right now not under the righteous wrath of God against our sins, it is only and holy because of God's mysterious and unfathomable grace in Jesus Christ. 
we richly deserve to be. And the Bible goes out of its way to impress upon us as people of God that God's choice of us has absolutely nothing to do with any superiority or worthiness or attractiveness in us. A key passage here is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, where Paul says to the Corinthians, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In order to think rightly about the judgment of God upon the wicked, we must seek the grace of true God-given humility so that we will think with the awareness of how utterly we deserve the wrath of God because of our sins, both before and after conversion. Well, with that in mind, let's look at these verses, verses 1 and 2. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. The key point is that nothing happens until the Lamb opens the seals. The background is chapter 5 which introduces us to the scroll of God's plan that will culminate in the new heavens and the new earth. (coughs) And there we learn that the Lamb, who is Jesus, was worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because he had conquered through dying. The picture that chapter 5 leaves us with is the lamb with the scroll in his hand and the whole church and the whole created order worshiping him. The rest of the book of Revelation is about what happens when the lamb opens the seals of the scroll by which he implements God's plan for the salvation of his people and his world. And what we see in many places in the book of Revelation is that that plan involves a lot of suffering. Suffering for the inhabitants of the world, including the people of God. Now some people think that the rider on the white horse is Christ here. Because later on in the book of Revelation, towards the end, there is a rider on a a white horse who is clearly identified as Christ. But that does not fit this context. The four horses in chapter 6, 1 through 8, refer to aspects of suffering on the earth. 
Christ here is the lamb who opens the seals. He's not the rider of any of these horses. It's not necessary to spend a lot of time analyzing the particularities of each horse and the awful things that their riders unleash on the world. The white horse with its rider represents the realities of wars, the reality of wars of conquest. The red horse with its rider represents conflict and hostility and killing. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, the text says. The black horse and its rider represent famine. A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. A denarius was a day's pay for a working man. So food was expensive. Food is expensive in a famine. It takes most of what people make just to survive. The significance of the command not to harm the oil and the wine is not that terribly clear. It may refer to the fact that the rich are often less affected than the poor are in the time of famine. Oil and wine were more luxury items rather than necessities. One of the realities of suffering in the world is that the poor often suffer more than the rich. The pale horse represents death, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a, third, a fourth of the earth to kill with, the, with sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. I read that one completely because of it's closest to what we are going through at the moment, the pestilence, which is causing a lot of deaths all around the world. Now, in interpreting these, there are a number of things to keep in mind. It's the overall picture that matters, not all the details. What these verses are speaking about is the reality of wars of aggression, of conflict and killing and famines and disasters of various kinds that result in many deaths. This is a highly symbolic way of saying what Jesus says literally in Luke 21, 11 and 12, where he says nations will rise against, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. These first four seals are not in any chronological order as far as their fulfillment is concerned. They are in a kind of order in as they are given in the book of Revelation because Jesus order, opens the seals uh, in sequence, one at a time. But the intent is not to say that these things will happen in any specific order. This is a symbolic picture of what will happen on earth during the entire period between the first and the second comings of Christ. This symbolic picture does not mean that it will be this only all the time, but rather that throughout this period there will be wars, there will be bloodshed and famines and pestilences. Sometimes they will be on a very large scale. Verse 8 says that death and Hades were given authority over a fourth of the earth. This is what life has been like throughout the whole period between the ascension of Christ into heaven, and it will continue to be this way until his return. 
Later on in the book of Revelation, we see that things seem to intensify, get more severe as we get closer to the end. So there have been in history relative periods of relative calm in different places in the last 2,000 years. But there have also been an awful lot of suffering due to wars and to violence and hatred and famines and earthquakes and epidemics and pandemics. We only need to think of the 20th century and the first part of the 21st century for many examples. Current pandemic is part of the picture that Revelation 6, 1 through 8 draws. But what does it mean? That's the question that we'll consider for the rest of this sermon. Answering this question from this passage will help us to think biblically about the significance of this pandemic we are facing. First, we consider the purpose of this passage itself, which must be seen in the In the light of chapter 5, it's addressed to the people of God. It's intended to comfort and to strengthen them as they experience the things described in these verses. There's no question, both from a biblical and an observational perspective, that people of God are not spared the suffering that is described in these verses. God's people have suffered along with Unbelievers, those who reject God in wars and famines and pestilences that have frequently been experienced by the human race throughout the centuries. This passage is addressed to God's people to give them perspective in these situations. And the most significant point of the passage is that none of this happens apart from the Lamb opening the scroll, the seals of the scroll, of God's plan for the world, which is his plan for the salvation of his people and his world. That is the most important perspective of all from this passage. These things, including the current pandemic, are part of God's plan for the coming of his kingdom. And further, the point of verse 5, of chapter 5, must be emphasized that Jesus is worthy to be the one in control of opening the scroll because of his death on the cross. The death of Jesus for the sins of his people is the key to the plan of God for the salvation of the world. And so the fact that It is the Lamb who has the scroll in his hand and who opens the seals means that what happens as the scroll is unrolled is the plan of salvation, which is rooted in Jesus' death. That's something that this passage, along with its connection to chapter 5, is telling us. The Lamb is our Savior. He's the one who died for us. And what the scroll represents is the unfolding of the salvation that he accomplished by his death and resurrection. That salvation can also be described as the coming of the kingdom of God. And that helps us to see that 
that salvation rooted in Christ's death includes the overthrow of evil as well as deliverance from evil. Here's how Gregory Beale expresses this idea in his commentary. He says, he writes, in connection with chapter 5, Revelation 6, 1 through 8, describe the operation of the destructive forces that were unleashed immediately on the world as the result of Christ's victorious suffering at the cross, his resurrection, and his ascent to a position of rule at his Father's right hand. A huge point of this passage is that the calamities described in our text are the result of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. That means that the pandemic that we are experiencing is rooted in the death of Christ. It is part of the outworking of God's plan of salvation, which is always two-sided. Salvation from sin and the punishment of sin. And this is intended to strengthen, to comfort the people of God. It is our Savior who opens the seals of the scroll. This is the outworking of salvation, which includes the salvation of the creation, which also includes Christ's victory over the forces of evil in the world. So there is certainly an aspect of punishment of the wicked here. It is more than that, and we must understand it in the light of all that the Bible says about this, but there's no question that these calamities, including the current pandemic, are expressions of God's wrath against the unrepentant world. This is made explicit later on in the book of Revelation. As we will see as we proceed, there are three cycles of these calamities on earth described in the book of Revelation. There's the first cycle, which is the opening of the seven seals. There's the second cycle, which is the sounding of seven trumpets. And the third cycle, which is the pouring out of seven bowls. These cycles are concurrent. They all speak of the same thing, except there is an intensification as we move through the cycles. But they're all basically saying the same thing. And here's the way that the seven bowls are introduced in chapter 15, 7. Quote, And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. So at least part of the meaning of the calamities is the wrath of God against the unrepentant. And it is a consensus among the among Bible-believing scholars uh, that this is the meaning of the seals. Part of their meaning, at least, is that they are expressions of the wrath of God against the unrepentant wicked 
and they are precursors of the ultimate punishment against the unrepentant at the end of the age. However, the meaning is not unmitigated wrath. These disasters and calamities that occur throughout history and before the end of the age are also expressions of God's mercy and his desire for the salvation of sinners. Second Peter 3 9 tells us that one of the reason the Lord, one of the reasons that the Lord delays the end of the age is that he is quote patient towards you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. This verse and many others reflect God's desire that people will repent that they will come to repentance that they will come to Jesus for salvation. And that is behind the Great Commission, of course, where God sends his people into all the world to make disciples of all nations. What this means is that the calamities that happen before the return of Christ are powerful and urgent calls to repentance. They certainly express the wrath of God against sin, but a huge part of the purpose of that message is a call to repentance. It is a warning of what is to come for those who do not repent. Four times in later chapters in the book of Revelation, there is a reference to people who did not repent. And that indicates that one of the great purposes of the calamities that occur when Jesus opens the seals of the scroll is to warn people to flee the wrath to come and to call them to repentance. These calamities, they serve the same purpose as the ministry of John the Baptist, who warned the people to repent because the kingdom of heaven was near. That is what the calamities unleashed when Jesus opens the seals also mean. They are a call to unbelievers to acknowledge the God of heaven, to repent of their sins and to turn to Jesus. While these things are going on, the church is under command from the same Christ to be preaching the gospel of salvation to the whole world. So when we think of the current pandemic, there's no question that that it is an expression of the wrath of God against the sin of the world, but that expression of wrath is also a warning which is motivated by mercy. This pandemic is a result of Jesus opening the seals on the scroll of God's plan. But also part of that plan is that Jesus has sent his church into the world of the pandemic to interpret it for the people. We should not interpret the pandemic in isolation from the Great Commission. God has sent the pandemic, but along with it, he has sent the church into the world to tell the world what the pandemic means. It means that God takes sin very seriously. But it also means that God is giving people a wake-up call, a warning. 
a very strong reinforcement of the call to repent. The pandemic is like an exclamation point to emphasize the gospel message. The pandemic and the Great Commission are meant to be understood together. The moment Jesus decides that the church's work is done, he will open the sixth seal. And then instead of a pandemic, the entire cosmos will unravel. And the wrath of the Lamb will be poured out in all its fullness upon those who persisted in refusing to repent and receive the salvation that Jesus died in order to offer to them. Another point that this passage makes is that the disasters that it describes are not directly caused by Jesus, but allowed to happen. Now that's not to say that God never directly causes punishment, but much of the time, disasters are the result of Jesus allowing sin to take its natural destructive course. In these first four, eight verses of chapter six, Jesus opens the scroll, the seals of the scroll. Nothing happens until Jesus opens the seals. But what happens when the seals are opened is that the riders of the horses are given permission to do their destructive thing. The rider of the white horse was given a crown. The rider of the bright red horse was permitted to take peace from the earth, and he was given a great sword. In connection with the pale horse, death and Hades were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. What this means is that at least one of the ways of looking, of biblically looking at disasters and calamities is that God allows sin and its consequences to take their course. There's mystery here because texts like Matthew 28, uh, Matthew 10, 28 say, say that, uh, that text says that not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from our Father. But the relationship between God and the things that happen in the world is diverse, so that sometimes the Bible speaks of God causing something to happen directly, while at other times it will speak of him allowing certain things to happen. Again, this is part of the mysterious relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. But in the case of Revelation 6, 1 through 8, Jesus opening these first four seals results in him allowing either sinners directly or the creation under the curse to unleash their destructive forces. So one of the points of this passage is the destructiveness of sin. Much of the time, God restrains sin and its consequences to permit humans to live relatively peaceful and prosperous lives. But then sometimes God allows the destructive forces of sin and the curse to be less restrained 
so that the destructive horror of sin is experienced in a more powerful way. And so you end up with wars and all the other ways that people hurt other people. Sometimes they are more restrained, but sometimes they are less restrained and you end up with wars and terrorism and murder and oppression. Sometimes the destructive forces of the world under the curse are allowed to work their destruction in greater ways than normal so that you have things like this pandemic. The way it is framed in this passage is that the Lamb opens the seal and then death and Hades are given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill. This is more along the lines of Christ allowing the world, the creation under the curse of sin to wreak its destructive force on humanity. A a deadly virus is part of the natural order of the creation under the curse of sin. And when Jesus opens the seal, it is given permission to spread through the human race and to bring sickness and death to many. And the point of this is to show what a horrible and destructive thing sin is. This is a powerful and graphic demonstration of the fact that the wages of sin is death. This helps us to see sin for what it is. And behind, behind sin is the devil who is malicious and cruel in all the disasters and calamities that are described in Revelation 6, 1 through 8, we are given to see that sin is not some harmless, forbidden pleasure. Sin is the most dangerous and the most destructive force in the universe. And when Jesus allows a seal, opens a seal on the scroll, we are given a glimpse of that truth. But it is the Lamb who opens the seals. The scroll that is unrolled as the seals are broken is the plan of salvation that is rooted in the death and the resurrection of Christ. That means that the meaning for God's people is that this is how their Savior, the Lamb that was slain, is pursuing their salvation. This belongs to the all things that God works together for our good. The story of the book of Revelation is about how Jesus keeps his people through these difficulties. And we must always keep in mind where the story of the book of Revelation is heading, the new heavens and the new earth. As Paul and Barnabas put it in Acts 14.22, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. In the context there is significant. Acts 14.22 says that Paul and Barnabas were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
This message is intended to strengthen the souls of disciples and encourage them. And this is the consistent message of Scripture. Revelation 6, 1 through 8 is intended to strengthen our souls and encourage us to continue in the faith, telling us that the way to the new heavens and the new earth is through many tribulations. And the great comfort is that the scroll is in the hand of the Lamb who was slain, and he is the one who opens its seals. This is what the good news looks like as it is implemented in history. This is what the coming of the kingdom looks like as it is implemented in history. This is the outworking of the salvation that Jesus accomplished with his death and resurrection. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The book of Revelation, including chapter 6, 1 through 8, shows us what that looks like in history. All things does not mean this worldly comfort and prosperity. It means that God will keep us in suffering and that nothing will separate us from his love. The lamb who opens the seals is the lamb who was slain, who gave his life for us. Everything that follows from that for believers flows from his love. And indeed, as we have seen, the disasters in history are warnings. And so they're also motivated by mercy. God gives us all a sense of his wrath in these things so that we will understand the seriousness of sin and cling to Christ, but also seek to bring others to Christ. One of the great themes of the book of Revelation is that Christians are witnesses to Jesus and his salvation. In the midst of these calamities, we are to interpret them for the world by warning them to flee the wrath to come and by pointing them to the one who gave his life so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. As it turns out to speak of the pandemic as a judgment of God against sin is not to condemn people to hell. That is never our calling. The time before the final judgment is a time given for people to repent. It is motivated by grace and mercy. And the disasters that give us a sense of the wrath of God against sin are also motivated by grace and mercy. Because an important part of the gospel message is that the consequences of sin are very bad indeed. 
Disasters are given to give weight to that truth. May that truth serve to stir us up, to do whatever we can to convey that message to the world in this time of pandemic. Let's pray. Our great God, Lord Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, the Lamb who has the scroll in his hand and who opens the seals, we come before you in worship. We would join with the host of heaven in worshiping you because you are worthy to open the seals and you are worthy because you died. And we have explored a little bit the implications of that, of your death for the history of the world, as chapter 6, 1 through 8 teaches us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live with this perspective. The Lord Jesus, with the scroll and unloosening, opening the seals, and being worthy to do that because of his death. And all of these things happening, flowing out of that. Lord, help us to see all this as the coming of your kingdom. The outworking of your purpose for the salvation of your people and the world. We thank you, Lord, for this perspective. Pray that it may be a comfort to us and that you would motivate us to help interpret this pandemic to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.